Matthew 25:14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went out on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. <coughs> After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See here, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a, a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and, hear your ma come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See here what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money out on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there, he will, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thanks, Philip. I think I know everyone here, but my name's Robert and... David, being away this week, has asked that I, I come off the reserve bench and um, speak this morning. Before I do, let's pray. God of infinite wisdom and love, guide the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts as we come to study your word today. Amen. Matthew 25 
is one of the most disturbing chapters in the New Testament. There are three parables. The ten young women, the talent, the sheep and the goats, and the parable of the talents. They provide an insight into what Jesus was telling us about the coming kingdom of God. They each contain a piece of information and today we're going to look at what piece of information we can find from the parable of the ten gold coins or in the old language the parable of the talents. However, before we, we start on the actual parable, we need to know something about parables, or especially Jewish parables. As you know, there are lots of different forms of communication. And the way we hear them and understand them will depend on the particular nature of that communication. For example, when we, we read a newspaper advertisement, we will take it less lightly than perhaps the things that we read in a peer-reviewed scientific paper. We will hear the words of a pop song or a rap song and we will interpret that differently to some of the other things that we read in maybe semi-serious books. They are different forms of communication and we calibrate our interpretation according to how we understand them. Now, with Jewish parables, they are a special type of communication and need to be understood as such. For example, the Jewish parables were very different to the allegories. In other traditions, the Romans and the Greeks, they had very complicated allegoric tales where each of the characters represented part of the story. They were a mystery to be discussed and discovered. Now, Jesus' parables were a very different medium to that. They were simple oral stories to be told to the ordinary folk and they were to be understood immediately. Everyone who heard them would immediately grasp what Jesus was going to say. This is because the, the Jewish parable had a surprise. The story would include an unexpected twist or a surprise, and that would direct the hearer to the meaning of the parable. In a sense, the surprises were like the catch lines of a joke today. The surprise directs us to the true meaning or the intention of the joke. Um, perhaps a rather funny example of it might be um, about a man that or an Australian, we'll call him that, that way I can't be accused of anything, an Australian that walks into a pub with a pig under his arm. And the publican is surprised and says, 
Where did you get him? And the pig answers clearly, I want him in a raffle. Now, the surprise and the joke is that the pig responds. And it probably points to the point of the joke that the Australian is not very bright. Now, obviously the joke could be used in, in many different contexts, but you see the surprise is what directs the intention or the intention of the joke. Now, to the passage. You can imagine that the, the crowd that Jesus is teaching, you're part of it. The idea of an absent steward manager would be very common, familiar to the audience. Property owners often left and their stewards were appointed in charge of the property. And Jesus actually uses this absent land, landlord um, framework for several of his parables. So people were well aware of what was going on in this story. But the trick to understanding the parable is to look for the surprise. The selection of stewards, the selection of stewards and the differing levels of ability and isn't really a surprise. Obviously people had, as they do today, different levels of trust, different levels of expectation. The amount provided is a significant amount. The gold coins were worth, in rough terms, or as close as you can make them, about 20 years of a labourer's wage. So it was a significant amount of money. And each of the stewards were left different amounts according to what the master would expect of them. Now we're told that after a considerable amount of time, the master returns. The stewards are called to give account of their dealings and the funds entrusted to them. The steward entrusted with five bags of gold has generated five bags more and he receives his master's praise and the promise of further relationship. The second steward, like him, has generated two bags of gold from the two he's been given and receives his master's warm endorsement. Now, to the audience, this would be as expected and predicted. However, the third servant turns out to not be so productive. He's clearly not been as entrepreneurial as the others. He's avoided taking risks with that entrusted to him and he's simply done nothing. He's buried the gold and on his master's return he hands it back to him. He simply gives back the amount of which he was originally entrusted. Now again, this wouldn't have been unexpected. In the ancient world as today, there are people with different abilities and different motivations. The third steward hasn't stolen or misused the funds. He's simply done nothing with them. He claims he didn't want to risk his master's wrath 
by getting it wrong. And so he does nothing. Now, this to the original audience would have been quite understandable and acceptable. But the surprise then jumps out of the story. Instead of shaking his head and acknowledging that he's made a bad choice or a bad selection with the third steward, and perhaps consoling himself with the first two, the master is appalled at the third steward's behaviour. He condemns him as wicked and lazy. He removes the funds from him and banishes him from the household. The master will have nothing further to do with him. As a result, he will suffer a dreadful fate. He is a person without place, without connection, alone and friendless in a dangerous world. The audience like you today would have been shocked by the harshness of the master's treatment. Some of the commentators have tried to soften this teaching, but it simply doesn't do justice to the plain meaning of the text. The parable, like indeed all of Jesus' parables, is meant to convey a strong message. The surprise in the parable, or the shock in the parable, points to its intended meaning. The shock is to direct Jesus' teaching that the audience will be held to account for what they do with their lives. Yes, people have varying levels of endowment, but we will all be called to account for the way we've used it, used what has been entrusted to us. It's simply not acceptable to do nothing with our lives. The lazy servant in Jesus' parable is condemned as wicked because he hasn't made a serious attempt to use that which has been entrusted to him. Now, remember, Jesus' parables weren't allegories. We're not meant to look too closely at the detail that makes up the framework of the story. This is just a literary setting for the surprise that teaches us. The one thing to take away from the parable is the teaching, and that's simply that it matters what we do of our lives. So how does this teaching for Jesus' Galilean audience speak to us today? How does it, it matters what we do with our lives, apply to us? I would humbly suggest that it means that we will be accountable to Jesus for what we do with our lives. Jesus in Luke 12 said, For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. 
And for those who have been entrusted with much, much will be asked. The idea to whom much has been required is that we are held for responsible for what we have. We are blessed with talents, wealth, knowledge, time and the like. It's expected that we will use these to glorify God and benefit others. Now, there's usually a cop out here. We assume that it's only rich people that have been given much. However, in truth, all Christians have been granted incredible spiritual wealth. Firstly, the gift of God's grace. God has forgiven us. He's welcomed us into relationship with him. As forgiven and welcomed people, we are therefore able to share generously and graciously with others. Secondly, he has given us his word. God has provided us with a guide to living, a pathway to life that we're entrusted with to share with others. Thirdly, the gift of the Holy Spirit. God has endowed us with the Spirit to be our inspiration and our comforter. We have special power in our lives that provides us with the ability to share and strengthen others. Peter wrote, Each of you should use the gifts that you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. God has also entrusted us with personal resources. These include special skills, technical knowledge, the ability to connect up random wires, Johnny, and to ensure connectivity and communication. Music ability to lead and share with others in worship. Hospitality, something to share with others. Wisdom to provide advice and direction to others. Administrative ability to help plan and bring about growth. Encouragement that enables us to get aside alongside people that are facing challenges. The ability to explain and teach so that people may grow in their understanding of faith and life. Also practical endowments, finance to share with those in need, time to spend caring and helping others especially those facing the challenges of life. Physical strength to help older, yes, older people, and weaker people undertake their burden of life. All of these have been given to us on trust. We hold them not for our own purpose, but for our master's purpose. Matthew 16, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, 
whoever who loses his life will find it. Paul talks about Christians being living sacrifices, sharing the things that God has given in the service of others. James reminds us that all good things come from God. Clearly, it does matter what we do with our lives and the resources in which we've been been endowed. Equally unequivocally is the teaching that these should not only be used for our own indulgence, but in the service of others and the furtherance of God's kingdom on earth. So what are our takeaways from this today? I'd encourage you this morning to reflect on the many blessings that God has given you. Suffice to say that we are all truly blessed with abundance. However, God's generosity is not meant purely for our own indulgence. He provides it for the building up from the growth of the church and the community at large for his creation. We should ask God for wisdom on how to use these resources and commit ourselves to expending them according to his will so that he may be glorified. We have been given much and God desires God desires that we will use what is entrusted to us. We shouldn't assume that the less we acknowledge God's gifts, the less we have to use them. As is evident in the parable, we are accountable to our master for how we use our endowment. This week I'd encourage you to take stock of what we're doing with our lives and the resources that God has endowed us and how effectively we are using them for God's kingdom. It's my earnest prayer that Jesus will guide you and empower you in your reflections and then how you live and use the resources with which you've been given. Amen.